Good morning. My name is Sean. I'm the lead pastor here at Grace Church. The only, the only mistake in the booklet you have is on the international partner where it says, uh, when you get to Kenya, uh, it says that they get the, our partner's name is John Congo. John Congo is the mentor for our actual partner. So the, the name is actually Alan Awano. So Alan Awano is, uh, is the uh, Kenyan pastor that we're partnering with in Mombasa. Uh, but we, because we wrote his name as John Congo, some of you guys are already checking it out, uh, that, that's why we're, we're redoing the brochure. So that's the only mistake that's in there. So if you guys want to just scribble out John Congo and then just write in Alan Awano uh, right there, then you can keep that one forever right there. Um, and like he said, if you wanted to pray for a different partner every single day this week, that would, that would be fantastic. Fantastic. Uh, all of us draw lines uh, uh, somewhere uh, that, to keep us on this side of crazy. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Like there's, you'll go so far, but you won't go that far. Some of us, you dance across that line all the time, right? Some of y'all, like you, you get a mama too upset and that chick loses her stinking mind, right? Now it ain't mama's fault. It's somebody, it's never mama's fault. Am I right, ladies? Like when mama loses her mind, that ain't mama's fault. That's somebody else mama lives with that made mama lose her mind right? Uh, but there's a line that we draw, and then uh, we, we don't want to cross that because that, that's too much for us. What, so for me, I draw the line this side of skydiving. How many of you guys would agree with me? I won't jump out of an airplane because that's stupid, just for a thrill. I don't want to bounce just so I can get a good picture on my Instagram. How many of you guys are like, listen, no, honestly, the gram's worth it. I would jump out of an airplane. I would raise your hand. All right. See, that's, we draw lines in different places. Um, I've, I, uh, I, I water ski, but I won't scuba dive. Um, so I, I grew up doing water sports my, my whole life. Uh, I, I snow ski and snow, I don't snow ski, that's a lie. I've been snow skiing twice. Uh, I snowboard is what I do. Uh, I, dude, listen, I've been snowboarding so long, they didn't have fiberglass snowboards when I first started. They were made of solid wood. So I have like a Burton Cruise 165 that weighs about 120 pounds. It's not quite that heavy, it just feels that heavy by the end of the day, and nobody cares, I can tell. Anyway, but I won't go scuba diving, because for some reason, like the idea of going like that deep underwater Water, like I, it, I know you're. It's not claustrophobic. It just feels like I don't think I could do that. How many of you guys are with me? I won't scuba dive. I would never do that. How many of you guys are like I would scuba dive? That's not that big of a deal. All right, I'm just just checking. Um, I'm also terrified of heights, and I thought that the best way to get over this would be to face my fears. And when I lived in Denver, Colorado, uh, there's 54 different mountains that are 14,000 feet or higher. Just so you know, uh, trees stop growing at 11,000. That's, that's the tree line, 11,000 feet high. Uh, there's, no more, there's not enough oxygen above 11,000 uh, for trees to grow, which is a good sign that humans probably shouldn't be there also. All right? I, that's, that's just dumb. Uh, so we go 3,000 more feet higher than that, all on foot. Now, you can't count it as a climb unless you start below 9,000 feet, just so you know. So those of you guys who've ever, there's, a, there's one of the 14ers you can actually drive to the top. It's called Mount Evans. Uh, you drive to Mount Evans, you can't claim that as a 14er because you didn't start walking at 9,000 9, feet above sea level. In any case, uh, there, there are several different times uh, on, on, the, on the first one that I did. Uh, by the way, my friend Daryl from high school, uh, born and raised in Denver, and I'm, I didn't move out there until my senior year. And then uh, Daryl's one who said, listen, uh, let's go do a 14er, you know, face your fears, this will be great. And so he said, we're going to start with the, hard, the, the hardest non-technical climb in Colorado. That's Mount Bierstadt. It's near Estes Park. Uh, so we start, I think it's like 7,500 uh, feet uh, above sea levels where we start. It's, it's a long walk. It's 14 hours round trip, so you got to get going pretty early. Um, and there were three different times where I stopped. And I just said, I, I, can't, I can't do this. Because like I said, I'm, I'm terrified of heights. And, and there's a, a place called Keyhole, and then there's 
there's another place called the trough, and then there's an, another place uh, where you, the, it's, you, you're just like 25 feet from the top, and it's just a sheer rock face. And if it's raining at that point, you just have to turn around and go home. You're 25 feet from the top, but you, you can't do it because it's too slick. And what you have to do is you have to stick your hand in, these, in this crack, in this, in this fissure in the, in the rock face, and you use that as leverage while you walk up that, and that's, that's insane. So I, you know, that was nuts. So there's three different places I wanted to quit. Uh, when I got to the top of the trough and I, I looked left and we had to go over toward that, that rock slab place, that was like, that was like I, I, I can't go anymore. And I sat down and half the group kept going because this is the third time I'm chickening out. So they're really convinced I'm not going to make it. And Daryl waited with me because he's my only true friend, I think, at the time. Um, and while I'm waiting there, an old lady with a cane come walking around the corner. <laughs> That's a true story. Like an older lady with her cane comes walking, like she's, no lie, she's got a cane. And she had, I said, have you been to the top? And she was like, yeah. And I was like, I freaking suck. She was sponsored by Nike, though. So she was, uh, she's the most geriatric, awesome athlete ever. Um, she, had a, she had a backpack with a breathing thing. And no, she didn't have any of that. She just had a cane and a bad hip and embarrassed me. Uh, so I finished it. Uh, but I, I, it didn't help me with my fear. Uh, we're driving through a town called Morrison, Colorado, which is just, just everybody thinks Denver's in the mountains. Denver's not in the mountains. Uh, Denver's in the plains, just like Kansas is in the plains. Uh, but you get to Denver, and it's the last city on the plains, and then right on the other side of Denver, boom, mountains just pop up out of nowhere. It's crazy. Like, when you fly into Denver, you'll, you're surprised at just how flat everything is around Denver. Uh, but just on the other side of the city is just this mountain range that goes from New Mexico all the way up into, into Montana and, and Wyoming and everything. So it, it's, it's really pretty. But just over the foothills, that's when the mountains are still small. We would call them gigantic mountains. But in Denver, they're just foothills. Just over the first edge of the foothills is a town called Morrison. And uh, it's got, it's, 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 I don't know why, I think it was a trading post originally at some point. And there's a creek that's been there for who knows how many centuries or thousands of years, a millennial, however long that creek's been there. Uh, but it's only about 10, 10, 15 feet wide. And I don't think it's really uh, deeper than maybe between two and four feet, depending on what time of the season it is and how much of the snow melt uh, is coming down. Except for at the bottom of these little, these little they call them tide pools, but it's where the, uh, the water uh, is coming through the, the, that little stream in the mountains and then it'll hit like a uh, uh, like, like a little waterfall, be like a 10-foot waterfall. But then all of that rushing water coming, dropping into that, that hole, that same hole for hundreds of years right there makes a 10, 15-foot deep pool. Um, so you're driving along the road, and, and the, the creek is, is to the left. And then uh, we're looking, and uh, we can see people about 80 feet high. So you've got the road, uh, you've got some rocks, you've got the, the creek, and then you've got like sheer cliff rocks and then you know then it opens up and then it kind of cuts through and then it it does does that and anyway it's not it's not a sheer cliff wall the entire way of the creek but there's one place it was and people were jumping off and Daryl goes uh Daryl is my friend who took me on Mount Beerstadt and and he's also doing this and and it's just a it's just a random Saturday and so he says uh hey you guys want to jump off the cliff too then I said uh yeah because I didn't want to be like a baby and I was thinking that we'd all probably have to go home and get a change of clothes and then I would find some emergency that would keep me from having to come back so I said yeah because I didn't think it would cost me anything and so I said yeah you know everybody in the jeep, he's got a jeep because he's cooler than me and he goes he goes hey uh you guys want to do this and we're all like yeah yeah that'd be great Sean you want to do it yeah I'll do it too right and then oh my mom needs me to do something I don't know what I was going to make up but but then we just pulled right over 
Like just, just right there. Like nobody went to go get clothes or nothing. And so everybody just gets out of the Jeep. And I'm like, oh, crap, I guess we're doing this right now. And we're all just like in regular clothes. And I'm wearing shorts. It's summer, but it's not like swimming trunks. Like I don't have like, it's got the built, it doesn't have the built-in underwear. So I'm wearing like regular underwear underwear. You know what I'm talking about? Like if I'm going to get wet, like I don't want itchy butt all day. And regular underwear underwear, when it gets wet and then you sit in it all day, it makes your... Anyway, so we get down to the creek, and then we, we swim across the tide pool, and then it's, it's a crazy hike to get to the top. And, and when you're standing on the top, it, it, it really, like it's, I know it's 10 feet across and about 15 feet deep, but when you're up this high, it looks like a Dixie cup that you're about to jump into. And then if I jump too far or jump too hard, I'll clear it and then bounce on the rocks on the other side. I mean, you won't. Nobody was even getting close to the other side of the creek, but up from this height, it feels that way. So, you know, after climbing all this way, I'm, I'm a godly man, so I'm letting all these other people go first. Go ahead. Because <laughs> I serve. That's what I do. I serve. I put you first. Go ahead. Go ahead. I'll even help you up. Come on. Come on. I'll pray for you. So eventually people could tell what I was doing. So like, Sean, you're going to have to do this. And so I'm standing on the edge of this. And it's, it's, it's terrifying. It, it's probably the scariest thing, one of the scariest things I've ever done. And um, I was thinking about going back down, but I realized that the, the, there's no way back because it was slippery enough coming up that if I tried to go down, it, I'd either have to be going down backwards, I'd be going down frontwards you know, crab crawl, and either way, I probably would die for sure if I did it that way, so I was stuck, and you're, you're up here at the top, and you know, you can lean over, but you haven't crossed that line, that line, that no, point of no return, you know what I'm talking about, like, and then like, you can even hang your leg over it, like lift your leg up over it, and put your foot out over, over the drop off, but like, you can still, you can still pull back, and get back on the cliff, um, and if you've, you've never been, right, how many of us have, all of us have done cliff dive jumping, right, we've all done this, but how many of you guys have ever jumped off of a high dive? You jumped off of a high dive? Remember the very first time you were on a regular diving board? Put your hand up if you remember that, right? Way back in the day. Remember the first time you went off of a diving board standing up? That was terrifying. And you walked out on the edge and you kind of went, right? And then you start bouncing for a second. And you're like, okay, I just want to see if the diving board was going to work, right? And you come up on the end, and then like your legs are all. Have you guys seen that like that 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 video of that, that that little kid? He's standing on the edge, and like his legs are going so high. Like the you guys know the board's doing like this, and the kid's body is standing still, but the board's going like this. How many of you guys have seen that video? Anybody else seen that video? That's a hilarious little video. Another little kid, his dad's like, "You could do it, you could do it," and then the kid goes off and he dies. Um, but when you jump off the cliff, there's a point where like you. I don't know where that line starts and where the line ends. You just know where you've crossed it and you can't go back, right? That line where you, boom, and nothing else is, like, you, you can't undo this. Everything, like, you can't go back. Some of us have done this in our lives where you've, you've done something and you crossed a line maybe in a relationship or you did, you, you, you committed a foul, right? And then, and then as soon as you did it, you knew you'd committed a foul, and you're like, I just wish I could go back to five minutes ago. Does anybody, can you think of anything? Okay. And tell your neighbor what that was. I'm just kidding. Go tell <laughs> that'd, be, that'd be terribly embarrassing, right? Well, there's a line drawn in history where everything changes. Uh, before this line, you see in the, in the Bible that, uh, and you, you see in the, in, the, in, the, uh, in the Hebrew Bible, in the Old Testament, it seems like God is different than the God that's in the New Testament. But the Bible says that God never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. But something changed. 
Because in the Old Testament, man, the punishment for like disrespecting your parents is, was, was death. You were taken outside the city and stoned to death with rocks. And there have been times when we as parents were like, bring back that Old Testament judgment, baby. Right? That kind of, sometimes, and then like, the, the, like there's, there's, there's punishments that are just like crazy, like, like steep the price you pay for some of those sins. But in, in the New Testament, it seems like you've, you've got Jesus who, who they bring a girl caught in the act of adultery. By the way, where's the guy, right? He, uh, he must have been one of their buddies or something. But they bring the girl to Jesus and they say, well, the rules say she should be stoned. But what do you say? Right? And you see, like you see Jesus navigating like the requirements of the law versus the offer of, of grace. And so before this line is drawn, God's wrath, anger, and judgment is poured out on mankind for all of the evil that we've done. That honestly, like justice needs to be served because humans have done some really horrible things to each other. And we've rebelled against God. We've broken all of the commandments. Everybody here has broken the commandments. Uh, and you're, like all of us have sinned against God. And if you're not convinced, I'll just go through the Ten Commandments really quickly because they're not... There's only 10 of them. The first one is don't make anything more important to you than God. All of us have done that. I've made my wife more important than God. I've made girlfriends more important than God. I should have mentioned that in the other order, but <laughs> right, I've made my kids more important than God. I've made fantasy football more important than God. Anybody else, right? I've made money more important than God. Uh, I've made what you think about me more important than God. I, I, so I, I probably break the first commandment probably more than all the other ones. The second one is don't pray to anybody else or don't make any statues and pray to them, right? Or bow down to anybody else but me. And some of us were raised in churches that had statues and they told us to bow down and pray to them. That's crazy, right? Not even knowing we're breaking the second commandment. The third one is don't take my name in vain. And, and everybody in here got potty mouths at some point. My wife, bless her heart. That chick, right? Right? Don't take my name in vain. Number four is, is uh, don't ever skip a day of worship. We've all broken that one too. I'm a preacher's kid. I wasn't allowed to break that one very much. But, right, I had to be like almost dead to, to skip a day of worship. Number five, so we're four in, and you're probably as four deep as I am. Number five is uh, don't disrespect your parents. Mentioned that one a minute ago. We've all done that. Uh, anybody here have biological human parents? Anyone? Anyone? All right, that's all of us. Uh, then the next five I'm going to get out of order, and that's okay, but I'll, I'll mention them. But one is, is don't take nobody's stuff. Uh, don't lie to anybody, don't murder, and, and hopefully you're okay on that one until Jesus said, if you've hated somebody, you're guilty of murdering your heart. So if you ever hated anybody, uh, you're guilty of murdering your heart. Don't commit adultery, and while that's becoming more and more common, uh, a lot of you would probably still say, I haven't done that, but then Jesus said, if you've lusted over somebody, you're guilty of adultery in your heart. So if you ever, are you human? Right? You've all lusted. Uh, I've all lusted. Um, and, then, and then the fifth one is don't wish that somebody else's stuff was your stuff. Holy cow, like I don't, does anybody pass any of them? So when we stand before God and he says, are you innocent or guilty of breaking my laws? Everybody in here will say we're guilty. And the God in, before the line, man, there's only one response. And it's the response we all deserve. But then after that line, it's a little bit different. Because once that line is drawn, there's a person who shows up. Right, And then he takes all of God's wrath, anger, and judgment on himself in our place so that we can get something we didn't deserve, grace and mercy, because it's the thing he did deserve. So he's actually kind of switched places with us. 
and our guilty and innocent stance before God is what Jesus does. That's a big deal when the line was drawn and then that bridge was made to connect us to God. And even if you're not religious, you would probably admit that Jesus is probably the most influential person that's ever been born in the history of humanity. Like, I don't know, is there, is there a part of the world where the life of Jesus has not been touched in some way? Right? Even by people who represented him? Right? Like, all of human history itself is actually divided between the things that happened before him and the things that happened after him. Right? B.C. and A.D., A.D. stands for Anno Domini, which means in the year of our Lord. So this is before Christ, and this is how many years since Christ, right, is, is what B.C. and A.D. And so while we secularize that with B.C.E. and C.E. before Common Era, and Common Era, which is what uh, Wikipedia does now on all of the dates, and a lot of our textbooks now have moved to that, it's still, like, you can take his name out of it, but we're still dividing time around Who? Jesus. Like, there's, there's nobody else that we've divided time around. But everything is what happened before Jesus and what happened after Jesus. There's, 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 there's no one that's been more, more influential in, in all of human history. But, but that line and the, the, the line between the Old Testament and the New Testament, Jesus being the one that bridges the two, this isn't the first time the line has drawn. Uh, if, you, if you've uh, got a, raise your hand if you've got a Jewish friend. Anybody? Got, we've all got Jewish friends, right? Uh, and then some of our Jewish friends are more, more uh, observant than others, kind of like our Christian friends, right? Uh, and, and, our, and our Muslim friends. But the, the Hebrew Bible, the Tanakh, the Christians we refer to as the Old Testament, uh, tells us uh, where we come from and um, tells us why we were created and tells us what our purpose is. It also explains how uh, why, why there's evil in the world and, and tells us how evil got here. And, well, that's not the point of the teaching at all. Uh, what God does is, and what we see in the first three chapters of Genesis, is that the Bible says, this is the Hebrew Bible, uh, the Bible says that, God, that, that a good God made good people to live in a good world. And so what God did was he said, this, this is me and this is everything that represents me. And it creates a world that reflects his beauty and his peace and his justice and his glory and his holiness. And he creates... Adam and Eve to live in perfect relationship with each other and to live in perfect relationship with us, enjoying all of this perfect stuff that he made. And then what God does is he draws a line and then he says, now, everything on that side is the opposite of me. So on this side of the line, there's life. On that side of the line, there's death. On this side, there's holiness. On that side, there's evil. On this side, there's peace. On that side, there's chaos. On this side, there's justice. On that side, there's injustice. And then he tells them, please don't ever step across this line because once you do, you can't come back. So it doesn't take long before they're like, wait, where's that line again? It's like when you tell your kids, hey, there's cookies in this cupboard, but don't eat the cookies. Now the only thing the kid can think about is what? Eating cookies. So Adam and Eve... It doesn't take long before they're just like hopping right over that line. And now for the first time, they, they, they know chaos. They know, they know mistrust. They know fear. They never experienced it. And the world wasn't created for that. And somehow we all kind of know this, whether you're religious or not. You know that the world is broken. But if we're just animals and the, you know, it, it is the, the, the survival of the fittest and might makes right, then what's wrong with abuse? What's wrong with murder? If somebody has the power to do this, do it. Like, nobody complains when a lion eats a gazelle, right? It's stronger, it's weaker, it's food, it's, right? It's, it's prey for, for the king of the jungle. But, but when it comes to us, somehow on the inside of us, we know that this isn't the way that it's supposed, like, 
Like that's the animal kingdom, but it's not supposed to be like that. For Like we, we know in our hearts that we weren't created for the world as it is now. And, and the Bible explains all of this. So what God does to those of us on this side is, well, he's got to bring justice. He said he would. Adam and Eve, though, in fear, they recognize their nakedness and they make for themselves their own covering for their nakedness out of fig leaves. And God says, your own covering for your sin doesn't cut it. I told you what the punishment was for crossing that line and walking away from life. And the consequence for walking away from the source of life is death. There needs to be death now. Like, this was your choice, not mine. Right? So if God, God actually had the right to wipe out Adam and Eve and start all over if he wanted to. But God's also the source of pure love. So instead of the covering that they had made out of fig leaves, the Bible says that God made for them a covering out of goat skin, which meant what happened to the goat? It died. Goat, animals don't live very long without skin, neither do people, by the way. I just want to put that out there, right? So if God made for, then, like, if God made for them clothing from the skin of a goat, it meant that the, the goat died. So what happened, what, what did the goat do, by the way? What did the goat done? Nothing. The goat was what? Was a goat innocent or guilty? It was innocent, but it died. It died on behalf of Adam and Eve. And so this created a temporary bridge over that line that we had crossed. It was a temporary bridge because it's just a goat. It's not a person, right? So it's a temporary bridge that allowed us to have access back into our relationship with God. And for the rest of the Hebrew Scriptures, anybody who wanted to go back across that line and enter into a relationship with God had to do it the exact same way that God modeled for them in Genesis chapter 3. They would have to accept that God would, that they had to believe that God would accept the substitute of this sacrifice, this animal sacrifice. Now it had to be pure, it had to be spotless, and it couldn't have any, any, any bruises or damage done to it at all. And then for the rest of the Jewish Bible, that we had, we were, God had established this temporary bridge that we could, we could open up through a, a sacrifice. But and that, that, that temporary, you see that temporary bridge all throughout uh, the Hebrew Scriptures. You, you see it again in Genesis chapter 10 where mankind's evil and wickedness had gotten so bad that God, Bible says that God, God, God actually thought to himself, I wish I hadn't created mankind. We were that bad. And the Bible actually says that there's a day coming that will be just as bad as it was in Noah's day, by the way. And that's, that's when we start to get toward the end. We talked about that a couple of summers ago. Um, and then what God does is he, he builds another bridge, in the ark. And Noah and his family had found favor with God because they, they trusted him. They believed him. By faith, they were made right with God. And they stepped into that ark, and that carried them across also. Uh, centuries later, uh, the Jews are in Egypt, and that's real famous, especially if you've seen the DreamWorks picture, Prince of Egypt. You know exactly what I'm talking about. But there were generations of Jews that were born as slaves in Egypt who knew nothing but captivity and slavery to the Egyptians. Like, they didn't choose the life of slavery to the Egyptians, they, but they, they were born as, as slaves, they lived as slaves, and they died as slaves. For generations, this happened. And then, and then what God does is when they cried out to God to be delivered, he sends them a, a prophet, the, the, like probably the greatest Jewish prophet, Moses, who then doesn't rescue them himself. What he does is he tells them, he brings these plagues on Egypt because of all the evil that they had done. And then in the 10th plague is the angel of death. And then what, what, what Moses tells the Jews is this. He said, because the Jews had gone hundreds of years without building that bridge, 
without opening up that bridge that God had already built for them. And so he said, what every one of you need to do is you need to go get a, an, a lamb, an innocent lamb. An innocent lamb. It can't have any spot or blemish or de defect at all. And it needs, it needs to be perfect. You need to get the, the best one. And you need to sacrifice its life and collect its blood in a bowl. And then take a hyssop branch and dish, dip it in the blood and apply it to the doorposts of your house. And then, and then, any, then any, anybody who applies the, door, uh, the blood of the lamb to the doorposts of their house, when the death angel comes through Egypt, he'll pass over and all of you will be spared because, uh, uh, because they were born, lived, and died on this side. And Moses said our problem is that we're on this side of the line. And we need to open up that bridge again. And it's been hundreds of years. So I then let, told everybody, here's how, you, here's how that bridge is built. And then, and then to, to this day, our Jewish friends still celebrate Passover. And that's where it comes from. But God said something in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, which makes something that John the Baptist said um, in, uh, when the first time he saw Jesus. By the way, when John the Baptist saw Jesus for the first time, remember, they're all, I don't know if you guys know this, like, but like Christianity like isn't like an alternative to to the 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 faith given to Abraham, Isaac and and, and Jacob. It's it's an extension, a fulfillment. We're going to get to that in just a minute. So they're all they're all Jewish. And then John the Baptist, Jewish, says to the people that are listening to him, which are also Jews, Jewish, when he sees Jesus, he goes, "Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world." Now, when John the Baptist pointed at Jesus and said, "Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world," everybody knew exactly what that meant. It's going to be his blood that allows the death angel to pass. He's the bridge. Now, where do they get that understanding that someday there would be a person who would be the bridge? That's actually all the way back in Genesis chapter 3. So if you've got your Bible, I want you to open up to page 2. <laughs> page 2 of your Bible. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15 says this. Uh, Adam and Eve had just sinned against God. And so there's, there's three parties involved, four parties, I guess. Uh, but they had been tempted by a snake who was talking to them, which is crazy, right? Like that's, so evidently, what's nuts is that they didn't think that was crazy. So I don't know what's going on before sin came into the world, where added, what kind of relationship Adam and Eve had with animal, animal kind. Obviously, all of that's cut off uh, af after this. But Adam and Eve sinned against God, and then God sits them down and explains to them the consequences. And in the consequences, he says this in verse 15. I'll cause hostility between you, the snake, and the woman, and between your offspring, now he's talking to Satan, and between her offspring, referring to Eve. He, her offspring, so now we know her offspring is going to be a he. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. So there's a few things I want to point out in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Uh, God says someday there's going to be a baby who's going to be born to a woman. It's going to be her offspring. Now, what makes this so unique is that it's the only time in the entire Hebrew Bible where a child is referred to as the offspring of a woman. Like when you get to Leviticus, where he begat, and he begat, and he begat, and he begat, he begat. You guys know where the he begats are, right? Where all the, it's just genealogy after genealogy after genealogy. They trace their genealogy through their dads. And so anytime the offspring, a child was ever referred to as the offspring of somebody, it was always a father, always a father. The offspring of, so my kids, if we were, if we were in the begats, it would be Garrett, or Sean, Sean begat Garrett, and Sean begat Ryan, and Sean begat Lauren. I, I don't know why I put my youngest two out of order there, but, um, but it, that's, where, that's how the begats would go. But every child is always referred to as the offspring of a woman, with the exception of one verse in the entire Bible, and it's this one. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, God says that there's going to be a baby who's going to be born to a woman only. That's, that's the promise of Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. 
Like that's the inference, is that there's going to be a baby who's going to be born to a woman without the input of a guy, of a man. And it will be a baby boy because it's referred to as a he. He will, he will crush your head, the symbol of authority. So he's talking to Satan, evil, injustice, right? All that's bad in the world. Someday, a girl will give birth to a baby boy, and this baby boy will crush the authority of sin and evil in the world. He'll be the permanent bridge, is what he's going to be. And then he says to Satan, but you're going to be, he doesn't say you're going to crush, he says you're going to strike his heel, which is a symbol of his humanity, his flesh. So the inference, what's implied, implication or inference, some math nerd tell me afterward, but Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, what it actually, what it's, what it's saying is that there's going to be a woman who gives, a virgin who will give birth to a baby boy. The baby boy will die, but in his death, he'll crush the authority of sin and evil. He'll undo all of the bad that we've started. That's, that's, that's the bridge. That's the bridge. God tells Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that that, that bridge who will cross that line between where God is and where we are will come through their descendants someday. That's what the scripture says. And, 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 and here's the thing. When Jesus showed up, we're, we're celebrating his birth right now, like the beginning of that bridge, right? Uh, that, that line didn't go away. He just bridged it because the truth is that line still exists uh, in your life somewhere. And that line is in me also. I want you to see this. And that's in Isaiah chapter 59, verse 1, where it says this. Listen, the Lord's arm is not too weak to save you, nor is his ear too deaf to hear you call. It's your sins that have cut you off from God. That's why when you pray, sometimes you don't feel like God hears you. Or you like as much, like, look at it. It's because of your sins that he has turned away and will not listen anymore. Our sins are what separate us from God. So we're still, like the Jews, we're born into captivity to our, we're born on this side of the line. Like all of the Jews who for hundreds of years lived in Egypt and were born, lived, and died on this side of the line. You and I were born on this side of our line. And, and it's not that we were just born over here. I made conscious choices to live like I belong over here. I told you I broke on all 10 commandments. I have earned my place on this side of the line. Some of us have earned it even more, right? But we've all owned our role on this side of the line. And that's why we've been cut off from God. That's what Isaiah chapter 59 says. Listen to what Romans has to say about that line. Romans chapter 5, verse 12. When Adam sinned, Romans 5, 12. When Adam sinned, sin entered into the world. Adam's sin brought death. So death spread to everyone because everyone is a descendant of Adam. The chapter goes on to explain that the sin follows the male off, like it's because you have a human father that you were born on this side of the line, which is one of the reasons why it's so important that Jesus was virgin born, because there's only been two people that ever lived on this side of the line until Jesus, and that's Adam and Eve. But because Jesus was born without a human father, he was actually born on this side of the line because he did not inherit sin nature, according to the scriptures. So he's born on this side of the line. There's a verse in Hebrews, though, that says that Jesus was tempted with sin in all points like as we are. You know what's crazy? Like, get that. Think of the sin that you're most tempted toward. The Bible says that God, Jesus, was tempted to step across that line in every way in which you and I sin on that side of the line. He was, like, he was attracted 
He wanted, like there was something in him that was drawing him, you know, like it is with you after Thanksgiving with the cranberry sauce that was left over, right? Or the apple pie. Oh, dear Lord Jesus, right? Did anybody have pecan pie at Thanksgiving? And then they, well, pecan pie, there's no leftovers for pecan pie because that's just, that's just, that's just a heaven dessert right there. But like the pumpkin pie with a thing of cool whip, cool, cool whip, right? That goes right on top of it. Sorry, a little family guy action for you. Cool whip, uh, right? Like you're attracted to that. Like you want it. You know you shouldn't eat it. But man, every, it's just like singing to you from the fridge. You're watch, watching TV. You're scrolling through TikTok. And then all of a sudden you're like, man, I just need me some pumpkin pie, right? Like he's like the pumpkin pie of sin that you're attracted to. He was attracted to yet without sin, the Bible says. And there's, there's no real argument when the Bible says that all of us have sinned because we'll all, we'll all admit that. But this explains why you and I struggle feeling close to God. And that brings me to the end of my introduction. We're way over halfway. There's two things I want you to know, and that's that you and I are born into captivity. Like the Jews born into slavery in Egypt were born slaves to sin. Jesus said in John chapter 8, verse 34, Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave to it. Raise your hand if you've ever sinned against God or against another person. All right, you and I are in captivity on this side of the line. We're born slaves to our sin is what we are. We can't help it. We're born to dysfunction. We're born to selfishness, to lying, to hurting, to pride, to greed, to fear, to sexual sin, to insecurity. We've all got our prisons, and we're born to them. Romans chapter 5 goes on to say this. Listen, in verse 15, it says, but there is a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. God's gracious gift? Do tell. Uh, I, there's, there's a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many, but even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through this other man, Jesus Christ. And the result of God's gracious gift is very different from the result of that one man's sin. For Adam's sin led to condemnation, but God's free gift leads to our being made right with God, even though we are guilty of many sins. Raise your hand if you're guilty of many sins. Any hand that's not up, you're breaking number seven, which is the lying one again, Right? <laughs> For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many, but even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness. For all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus. So it's through this one man, Jesus, that we get to triumph over our captivity and we get to step out of the prisons that we make by the choices, by the things that we've done because of the choices that we, we make. Verse 8, 18. Yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone, but Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. Because one person disobeyed God, Adam, many became sinners, Sean. But because one other person obeyed God, Jesus, many will be made righteous, Sean. God's law was given so that all people, you, me, could see how sinful we are. But as people sinned more and more, God's wonderful grace became more abundant. So just as sin ruled over all people and brought them to death, now God's wonderful grace rules instead, giving us right standing with God and resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And there's the bridge. Jesus, because he's born on this side, is connected on this side of the line. But because he showed up in the human story and took the pun, Bible says in Hebrews that God made him, Jesus, to become sin for us who knew no sin so that we could be made righteous before God who knew no righteousness. Basically, what Jesus does is he earns, like if we all live and the, 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 our human lives are like the robes our souls wear, 
We live our lives just getting crap all over our robes. Jesus lives his whole life with a spotless robe, never got it dirty once. The Bible says that God made him sin who knew no sin. Essentially what that means is Jesus took off his robe and put on yours. And he became sin for you. And then he took the punishment like the goat in the garden, like the lamb in Egypt. He took the punishment for us so that there'd be a bridge from your side of the line back to God again. Jesus didn't come to start a new religion. That isn't why he came. Listen to what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5. Jesus said, don't misunderstand why I came. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. I came to accomplish their purpose. I came to fulfill everything that God promised you guys would happen. I came to be the bridge. Like all the way back in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Remember the offspring of the woman who would die, but then would crush? Like, hey, that's me. We thought the secret to getting right with God, though, was figuring out how to become a better person. And that's what all religions of the world have in common. It's the idea that a good God lets good people into a good place. Heaven, paradise, reincarnation, I don't know, whatever other things there, right? Whatever. But it's the idea that you can be good enough that after you die, it's a better thing. Romans chapter 3, verse 19 says this. Obviously, the law applies to those to whom it was given for its purpose is to keep people from having excuses and to show that the entire world is guilty before God. No one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. Why? Paul goes on to say because it's impossible to keep the law. Everybody in here has broken all 10. You're already screwed. So just God giving us the law didn't make any one of us right with them, did it? All it did was take away our excuses so that we can't stand before God on judgment day and say, I'm innocent of sin. No, you know what the commandments are. Are you innocent or guilty? I'm innocent. Wait, read them again. All right, crap, I'm guilty. That's the point, to make sure that everybody knows that they're guilty. That not only was I born on this side of the line, I earned my place on this side of the line. And anything that happens to me on judgment day, I 100% deserve. I deserve every bit of it. And that brings me to the second See, I'm already halfway, I'm already done with this sermon. There's only two points. I'm already on the second one, right? Number one is this. Everybody's born on that side of the line. We're born captives to our sin. Number two point, last point is this. Jesus came to set captives free. Romans 3, 21 and 22 says, but now God has shown us the way to be Speaking in tongues up in this joint. Romans 3, verse 21. But listen, he just got done saying, that the law doesn't make us right with God. Keeping the rules doesn't make us right with God. All right, so what makes me right with God? Great question, about to answer it, Romans 3. But now God has shown us the way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law. <laughs> Good thing, because I suck at that. Uh, as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago, we're made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ, the bridge. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are, whether you're Jewish, Christian, Orthodox, Catholic, Methodist, Muslim, Baha'i, uh, Hindu. Give me another one. That one. Didn't hear it, but I'm not going to ask you to repeat it. But for everyone who, there's only one bridge. Because our, our, our Jewish friends don't say that Moses was born on that side of the line. They admit he was born on this side of the line and he earned his place over here. And our Muslim friends 
they admit that Muhammad wasn't born on that side of the line. He was born on this side of the line, and then he earned his place over here. We were all born over here, and we've earned our place over here. So the only person that can actually connect us to God is somebody who started <laughs> where we didn't start. And that only person is Jesus. So anybody, regardless of your background, who places their faith in Jesus as the only one who took your sin on your behalf before our holy and righteous God, because you're not holy and righteous, is made right with God by your faith. That's what the Bible says. So since Jesus sets us free from our sin and he forgives us, does that mean we can keep doing stuff on this side of the line? That's a really good question. And if you weren't asking it, you're not as mischievous as I am. But Romans chapter 6 gives us the answer in verse 15. Well then, since God's grace has set us free from the law, does that mean that we don't need to do what it says anymore? Should we keep on sinning? Of course not. Don't you realize that you, became, you become the slave of whatever you choose to obey? You can be a slave to, to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. Each of us struggle with our own personal sins, don't we? If you've got a favorite sin... There's one sin probably that you're tempted with more than any other sin. Hopefully it's not murder. But some of you, are, you're tempted to rage, man. You're a rage monster. Some of you, your biggest temptation is sexual sin. For some of you, your biggest temptation is greed, pride, hate, like everybody in here has a pet sin. And that verse says, you've become a slave to your pet sin. The thing that you were running to to escape has now become the thing that's held you captive. And you're a prisoner of your own making to your own choices to rebel against God. We've all done this. The thing that we run to when we need to escape actually becomes the thing that enslaves us and holds us captive. There's a rich young ruler who comes up to Jesus who says, he's on this side of the line. And he says, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and then you can come follow me. Jesus wasn't saying that you have to buy your way into heaven because otherwise he would have said that to everybody. He didn't. He said that to this one guy. Why? Because Jesus knew what this guy's prison was. And he says, you can't come to my side with handcuffs. You gotta let those things go. You've got to be willing to walk out and away from your sin. And the Bible says that he walked away very sad because he had a lot of money. Isn't that crazy? He chose his prison, and he chose to stay there. <laughs> Just like me, dang it. Right? Just like you. It's not like we don't know that it's wrong. But knowing that it's wrong didn't make it easy to do right, though, did it? Like, we know that it's wrong, we just rationalize doing it anyway, is what we do. The Apostle Paul had a prison. Tell me if you can guess what it is. Philippians chapter 3, verse 5 and 6. I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I'm a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, if there ever was one. As for righteousness, I obey the law without fault. What do you think his prison is? Being a jerk. Self-righteous pride and arrogance. Listen to what he says, though, in the next couple of verses. Verse 7. I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. And see, that's the thing. The thing that you run to, your sin of choice, you right now act as though it's valuable. 
But there's going to come a day, hopefully, where you do get free from the prison of your own making and you become in relationship with God. And then the things that you thought were valuable, you're going to recognize were, that's what he says, listen, but now I consider them worthless because of what Jesus has done for me. Yes, everything is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. For his sake, I've discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage. Now, my wife uses the King James Version. Did anybody else grow up on the King James Version? And here it says, I count it all as dung. I love that because every once in a while a preacher would read a verse that would say like the, the A word, right? Or the, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to stop right here is what I'm going to do, right? A fatherless child, that's in the, that's in the King James, right? There's a, there's a few other words that are in the King James. Uh, in, in, anyway, so whenever the preacher would get to this one and he would say dung, I'd whisper to my brother, go, that's crap. But, you know, back when we weren't allowed to say crap, right? Uh, and I, I don't say it either. But this just for sermon illustration, though, that's the, that's the I, I do say it. Uh, but Paul says, I count all that stuff as, as, as dung, as garbage, so that I could win Christ. What made the difference? He recognized that there was still a line, no matter how good of a person he was, he recognized that there was still a line between him and God, and that Jesus was his only bridge to go across it. That's what made the difference. He came to the edge of the cliff, and he decided he was going to jump and go all in. And because he jumped and went all in, he got to see the prison for what it was. And now it had become distasteful to him. Zacchaeus was a hated tax collector who took taxes not to build roads and schools and to help impoverished communities, but to fund the Roman overlords. So he was very hated. Luke said that he was very rich. He's the guy who had everything but had no one. You know people like this. He was so affected by Jesus. Jesus said, I want to go to your house of all the people in Jericho. Jesus said, you're the guy I want to hang out with today. And we don't know any of their conversation. The Bible doesn't include that. God didn't think it was important for us enough to know, to include it in the scriptures. And I hate that because I, I would have loved this because there was enough conversation that happened between Jesus and Zacchaeus that at the end of the day, Zacchaeus crosses that bridge. And here's what Zacchaeus says in Luke chapter 19, verse 8. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and he said, I'll give half my wealth to the poor, Lord. And if I have cheated people on their taxes, I'll give them back four times as much. Wouldn't you love for someone from the IRS to say that in the name of Jesus? Jesus replied, salvation, verse 9, has come to this home today for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. Why? Because he gave half of his goods to feed the poor? No, because he stepped out of his prison. You know what you need to do to be made right with God? Step out of your stinking prison and cross the only bridge that God built for you. That's it. That's how you go from captivity to freedom. That's why Jesus said, anybody who comes to me, who the Son sets free, is free, what? Indeed. Indeed. You don't have to be stuck in your brokenness and your sin any longer. You don't. The entire Bible is a rescue mission. Mankind drew a line between himself and his creator, and the creator keeps building a bridge over that line. And that's what we celebrate at Christmas. That's when God backed up the dump truck full of steel and concrete that he was going to use to make that permanent bridge that anybody could walk across. That's what he did. You, like me, have your own prisons. and There are things that you've done in your pursuit of meaning, value, and purpose outside of God to build that prison. And I'm wondering what it is. I'm wondering if you know what it is. These things have become our captors and they threaten to keep us on the other side of the line from God. I think some of your prisons might be anger or hate. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand when I get to your prison. That would be embarrassing, wouldn't it? But you identify it in your own head. Maybe it's self-loathing pity. 
which honestly is a version of pride. So maybe yours is pride or greed, lust or porn, approval or acceptance, addiction, regret, pain or hurt. From, man, it's getting real quiet in here, isn't it? Pain or hurt from your past, loneliness, depression, worry, fear. Or maybe you have everything and you have no one. And you've spent so much time scrambling up the ladder that you never checked to make sure that the ladder was leaned against the right wall. And you need to come down and reset that thing. No one in this room has gone too far, I promise you. God is a faithful bridge builder, and he's inviting you right now today, you're not here by accident, to come out of your prison of your own making and find freedom from that crap. I can't do this for you. Jesus is the key. His death, burial, and resurrection unlocked the, the gate. He's opened it, but you have to choose to walk out and go across. Let's pray. God, I love you with all of my heart, and I'm thankful that you don't abandon us even when we abandon you. God, the whole Bible is the story of the way that you keep chasing us. And God, we have, there, we have run hard in the opposite direction of you, and you've chased us relentlessly and brought us to this moment right here, right now. I'm thankful, Jesus, that you did show up in the human story to become the bridge that the Father promised on the second page of the whole Bible. God, and I know that bridge is available for every single person in this room. And there's no other bridge that has ever been built other than the one that you built, which is Jesus. And I'm not asking what religion you are because I don't think God cares what religion you are. I think he just cares which side of the line you're on. And if you would be honest enough to admit that you're on the wrong side of that line and you're bothered by that, would you just tell God that in a quiet prayer? Not out loud, but you can pray in your head. God, I know I'm on the wrong side of the line. I'm sorry, I don't want to be over here anymore. I'm tired of running from you. And if you brought me here today so that I could hear this, I receive it. And I'm willing to step out from the things that have trapped me. I don't want these things in my past to define who I am for my future. And I'm asking you, Jesus, to forgive me and save me for the sins I've committed against you and the sins I've committed against others. Can you make that your prayer? God, I'm on the edge of that cliff and I'm jumping in, man. I am all in. I am willing to be your guy. I will be your girl, God. I'm yours. Can you make that your prayer? I'm yours. In making that prayer and offering God your faith, I, by faith, trust that you, Jesus, took my sin for me. That's the kind of faith that takes you from one side of the line to the other side of the line. But Paul says that now that we get on this side of the line, some of us still every once in a while feed out of the trough of slop on the other side that we've been rescued from. And maybe there's some of the sins that you were saved from that you've been walking back toward. You're bothered by that now that you have God's Holy Spirit in your heart. And you know that there are sins that you're doing that should not be a part of who you are or this, this part of your life. God, I'm sorry for allowing those parts of my life that you've saved me from to still be a part of my life now. Please forgive me for those things, God, and help me to set them down. Maybe that's your prayer. God, let your will be done in our lives so that your will can be done through our lives. And this is what we all pray in the name of Jesus, and we all say together, amen.